Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is Last Drinks Podcast, a new conversation about how to navigate an awesome life without alcohol, reframing the cultural norms around alcohol in our lives, and hosted by me, Maz Compton, sober since 2015. Justine Whitchurch, a 48-year-old Queensland mum, used to dread kids' birthdays, weekends at home and school pickups. To all of her mates, she seemed like the perfect parent on the outside, but she was harbouring a very shameful secret. She had a crippling addiction to alcohol that was slowly seeping into every part of her life. Justine says Australia's obsession with alcohol and the normalisation of binge drinking was a big part of her own struggle. Well, she's overcome it and she's here to talk about her last drink. Justine Whitchurch, can you tell me about your last alcoholic drink? I can. So my very last alcoholic drink was eight and a half years ago now and it was a year where I actually had chosen well, I probably only drank on, that was the third occasion that year. And I had promised myself on this occasion, it was a work Christmas party, that I would not drink at dinner because I already knew my, I guess, my downfalls. If I started early, I was going to go hard, nice and early. I went to the restaurant, first of all, and I didn't drink as I had planned. And then straight after dinner, we went to a club. And I think I drank about half a dozen champagnes in about 30 minutes and then I proceeded to go to get into a nightclub of which I thought I was more than capable of you know (laughs) of not only getting through the screening part but but making it through the rest of the night and I I got through the door and I there was there's this nightclub on the Gold Coast called East Nightclub and the stairs are literally the like this they're just the death stairs the death stairs and I was wearing some really high-heeled shoes that I hadn't worn in forever and I literally slid all the way back down. So I got up the top and I slid all the way back down and I was promptly removed from the club very quickly. I bet. Um, And then I went on to argue with the bouncer that I wasn't inebriated and that I was going to a current affair and that he was discriminating against me and um yeah that's actually amazing like I love (laughs) I love how ballsy you (laughs) I went out with a bang definitely went out with a bang I'm going to a current affair damn it I know yeah yeah exactly exactly it's you it's not me um (laughs) yeah so so that was the very last time and I quickly was placed in a cab and sent home yeah so that was December the 13th 2013. So you get in this cab you go home I'm sure you don't feel crash hot the next day 
what mm. was it in particular that stopped you from drinking that next day? Because we've all had messy nights and we've all fallen downstairs, Justine, mm. but somehow mm. there is in everybody's sobriety story, there's a moment where enough is enough and the catalyst mm-hmm. is different for us all. So do you can you articulate what it was for you specifically that time? I had already been into rehab in 2012 and I was not drinking like I had previously been drinking. I would set myself these ridiculous, okay, in three months' time you can have a drink on this particular day and right. you know, it was all very structured. So um, I woke up that next morning with the god-awful DTs, which I was not used to anymore, you know, that having been previously an everyday occurrence. My anxiety was through the roof. Um, I think I popped a Valium or Xanax or something that was still hanging around just to get myself through. I had been training really regularly, uh, exercising a lot, and that next day I couldn't train. Because I was just, you know, and that had been my happy place. I got myself out of bed about, like, I think it was probably about 2 o'clock and went to, I sat on Burley Hill here on the Gold Coast, beautiful place, and I just looked out at the ocean. I went and bought some McDonald's. I had a lemonade in my hand and I just said, I can't do this anymore. I, I just cannot do this anymore. I, I There is nothing positive in this for me anymore. I, it wasn't even socially it wasn't positive um, I already knew from years beforehand that, you know, just on a psychological level, it, it was never positive because it was it was medication prior to that for me. But even socially, it just did nothing for me. All it did was inhibit me from doing all the things that, that I really wanted to do and that I loved. And I slept till two o'clock that day. I'd been used to getting up at five in the morning and going for a beach walk. So it was, I just said, I, I just, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm not a one drink person. It will never happen. I don't know moderation. I'm an addict. So I just can't do this. That's a pretty heavy penny drop moment when you can mm. say it to yourself, this isn't my jam, I can't do one drink, I can't moderate, Th- those are yeah. not my strengths. So let's yeah. play to my strengths and my strengths might be found in the sobriety part of the story. So can yeah. you talk to me, Justine, like in that season of life, what are you able to hold down a job you know, like what what were you sort of navigating in your life at that time? Then and there, I was back. I was well and truly um, into mainstream life and, and society. And yes, I was holding down a job. I was working. I was actually uh, I just um, become qualified as a personal trainer because that had been you know a, a massive part of my recovery, and that's where I wanted to go. So that particular year, I was well and truly functioning. If, yeah. 12 months beforehand was a very, very, very different story. I was in, there was no life. Um, but at that point in time, I'd had enough of normalcy and living again, I guess, to know that this just doesn't serve me at all anymore. It's not even that nice to have. Um, you know, I think for me, I know with most addicts, I, I don't know many people that when they decide to stop drinking, particularly the way that I was drinking in my in you know the very bad times, where I, I left rehab and I thought, oh, I'll never drink again. I never thought that from the day that I left rehab. I thought, mm, I think I've got this under control. I think I'll probably be able to be a social drinker. Yeah, and then you and then no, no, not in my no, no not in my case, no. Yeah, and there's only one way to figure that out. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. So, but you figured it out. 
And that's the best bit of the story is you <laughs> when you it's like know thyself and when you when you yeah. can finally accept what doesn't work for you you can embrace what does and what's on the other side of that choice is a whole life so worth exploring in my opinion. You're very right. Sometimes so you need for me I needed a period of time I needed clarity of thought for a period of time before I could understand that that's it actually doesn't serve me anymore so it's, it's it's like the longer away from a drink you are the easier to recognize all that the aha moments that you know what I, this actually doesn't work for me you have to get further you have to have more time in clarity before you can make those really conscious decisions where it, it is you know at a soul level this is not me I can't do this Yes, you can't undo a decade of bad behaviour in 24 hours. It doesn't. No. That's not how time works. You exactly. do. You've got, to, you've got to remove the thing, whatever the thing is, for a, a, a significant amount of time. I always say a season. I've done a lot of moving around with my job. It takes the first three months to, like, remember how to get to your house. And know where, find out where the good coffee is. And you know what I mean? Like it takes a little bit of a season to like settle. It takes 12 months. It takes a full year, one of each of the seasons for it to start to feel normal. And I think if people adopted that philosophy when they come to sobriety, that it can't just be this like, oh, just have a couple of weeks off and see how I go. Like I think you've got to do a full-blown season in it, hard in it. And then once you've established that, then do a year and yeah. and see what's on the other side of all of those seasons. And then yeah. it starts to feel kind of normal, I think. So this time round, you have your night out. Mm-hmm. You, you decide it's not for you. What were the next steps that you took? I think I was already on my path, which is why it was so easy to make that decision in the end. I say, uh, And it actually was. It was really bizarre. It was just a real... You said penny drop, whatever whatever you want to call it. It was just a no, this is a definite no, I can't do this anymore. To be honest, it was the lifestyle that I was living. It was fitness, which became, health and fitness became the core foundation of my wellness. I talk about that all the time. That's mental health, physical health, everything. So the more that I engaged in that and the stronger um, routine I had around that, it definitely wasn't foolproof, but I felt safe there. So... Mm. I'd already set up my my home environment, my living environment, the people around me. I had this support network of people that knew that I was way better, way better without the alcohol. They'd nursed me through the worst of it, and then they had, you know, helped manage me through where I was then. And I just dove straight into that, and I started um, probably then is when I started blogging and I started writing about my experience without being afraid of talking about it, and that helped. How did that help? I was getting out of my head onto paper what I had feared or what was tormenting me or it was like it was like a release. It, it was cathartic. And I also found, so cliche, I found my tribe, but I found a group of people who engaged with me and understood me. And I also found people that needed me, which gave me purpose, which further propelled the the desire to stay sober. That, that's the big three. It, that is the winning yeah. trifecta. That's the hat trick. 
<laughs> yeah, so, exactly. So I always say that um, my sobriety superpower is journaling, and the, and mm-hmm. what I what I read from my journal in my first month of being sober, I felt like I found myself again, and I felt like I yeah, could yeah. learn to love myself again, and it was like, oh my god, here she is here's the person that you actually care about and love and need to nourish and value and look after and be with. And it's me because she's on this piece of paper. So journaling was my sobriety superpower. Finding your tribe may sound cliche, 1000% necessary when you decide to change your life in such a dramatic way. If you're so used to drinking all the time at everything, you've got to find a whole new bunch of people to hang out with that get the new you. So it's completely they are the keys. They're the keys to yeah. sobriety. And and when you Definitely. when you know that and you can articulate that and how powerful those things are, it's not a replacement for talk therapy, but it's a kind of therapy I find. Yeah. Where you said it yourself, like you felt like you were out of your head. Finding, you know, whether it's people to connect with online or whatever whatever you need, it's super important that you find somebody that that you that you click with and I think the writing for me it was very interesting because my self-worth self-love all that type of thing which you know was non-existent when I was drinking it was non-existent before I was drinking that's part of the reason I drank but when I started writing again which I had done when I was younger and um, being creative I realized that I was actually relatively good at it as well so that was another bonus because that then actually gave me a little bit more self-confidence and a little bit more self-worth. That was a skill that I had. Just to tie up the big three, we, you mentioned purpose. And that is, again, it's like without a purpose, we perish. Like we we all have to, we're all here for a reason, right? And when yeah. you're when you're drinking your feelings away and you're suppressing all of the emotions and you're carrying on and doing those behaviours, they're not serving any purpose other than self-destruction. And so when you come to out of that haze and out of that dark cloud, you've got to find a reason to be here. And if you're, if it's helping other people on their sobriety journey, that that's this beautiful feedback loop that I love about sober curiosity and sobriety is once you've gotten it and you're getting the hang of it and you're in a groove, then you can come along somebody else and be like, Hey, let's do this together. And then it's like, your sobriety journey is never a burden on anyone else who's doing the journey as well because we're all here to just learn from each other and figure it out and your sobriety is as unique as your fingerprint like it's your story and your journey but there are some key things that can help people stay the path and you know continue on yeah talk to me about the knock-on benefits and and the life that you've manifested and curated out of your last drink (laughs) My God. So over the last eight and a half years, I mean, clearly it's all been progressional, but I mean, in one small sentence, I found my power again. And there's a a lot of things for me fell into that. So I was quite in my teens, 20s, I was music industry. I was an entertainer. I was doing lots of, you know, modeling and I had this, this sense of self and I always was really ambitious and um, in my 30s, you know, due to a number of reasons, 
that I was drinking in the first place, I lost all of that. I lost all of my, I call it my sabbatical. My 30s were literally a sabbatical. I don't even really know who I was or what I was doing. As the more I got sober or the, the more I got sober, the longer I was sober, the more that actually came back and all of the things that I felt, that passion for life, that passion for serving the, you know, the entertainer, yeah. all the things, you know, yeah. that's not relevant for anybody, but yes. it was for me because that's what I did. That's what I did. You know, that's all I knew. And all of a sudden I, I was like, I can, I can do this again. I might be now, like I'm, I've just turned 49. Um, that's another thing. It, um, but I can do all of this again, all over again. It, it, it gave me back my youth as well. I, you know, I feel good, better than I did 20 years ago. I'm healthier. I'm more fit. Add, you know, 20 years of wisdom. I love that because there's this beautiful sense of inner calm that you experience when you're sober, especially for mm. people in the performance space. And for me, I've always been in broadcast media and there's an element of performance to what I do and it's so vacuous and shallow and it can mess with your head and your self-worth. And what I find is with, you know, through my sobriety, I, I am the most connected into my authentic true self and I perform out of that space. And I don't feel like I have to convince anybody mm. that I'm good. I used to feel like yeah. I had to say yes to everything because if yes. I don't take that job, somebody else is going to take it. And then, you know, like it was this whole like, oh, my God, don't ever have a sick day. Don't have a sick day because whoever fills in for you is going to steal your job. Like there's this I lived in my 20s and early 30s with a sense of like yeah. panic and and like, oh, my God, like it just messed yeah. with my brain. Yeah. But now I'm like, whoa. This is cool. I'm so good with me yeah. and and the place I perform out of. I'm so fluid now, which is yeah. a really nice place. And it doesn't mean that I'm like less energetic or less creative or less brilliant. I'm just so yeah. at peace. Like this peace I have is like that's what I want people to get and understand. And you don't get it until you get it, right? I talk about the fog being lifted all the time and the, you know, for me, I do have mental health conditions, so I still have obsessive compulsive disorder and anxiety, but Jesus, they are so much better managed without the alcohol. Um, And I used to think that was the only way that I would ever be able to manage my head. And now I know I'll manage anything as long as I don't do that. So it is very, very interesting, but I can relate. I know even, you know, in my 20s, especially with the, you know, the music industry and recording and all that sort of thing, I, God, I can remember that many times where I'd have a shot of vodka before I went to an audition. And I'm like, really? Because I just couldn't get over that that panic, that anxiety. I just never learnt to deal with my, my own um, you know, in a turmoil or my, or my mental health conditions without medicating. Alcohol, I think people use it to self-medicate because they don't have and they or they haven't been taught how to manage their anxiety or their imposter syndrome 
or their comparison yeah. syndrome with any other wellness tools. So that you know, there's a myriad of wellness tools that are available to us. We can sure. journal, we can meditate, we can do physical exercise, we can there's there's just three. There's there's hundreds of things that we have available to us. Yeah. But for some reason, alcohol gets in the hand before any of those things are communicated. And then before you know it, you do self-medicate, you use alcohol because it's available, it's everywhere, and it's completely normal. Acceptable. Which is why <laughs> these conversations are going to normalise sobriety, mm. which I actually think is that should be the normal. Being sober and not drinking alcohol, yeah. our society should be set up to educate people that that's the normal, that's the best way to function as a person. And then if yeah. you can't handle things, here are all the other things that you can do other mm-hmm. than drink alcohol to manage all of the things that you're going to be challenged with in life because it's not a straight, simple path. Yes, you're right. It becomes our only coping mechanism, which is dangerous, and it's not ever then um, sought after as a as a social thing. I think it's it's you know we like to disguise it as being social, um, but it becomes our only coping strategy. But it's also like anything else it's easy right it's 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 a lot easier than getting up and pulling your journal out and going through whatever you know torrent of all sorts of things that you um you know are going through at the time it's easier than going to a yoga class at six o'clock in the morning it's it's the quick fix that ends up being not the quick fix it is the easy option and I I have said this before on this podcast that sobriety will not be easy but it will be worth it and sometimes the easy choice is not the choice that's worth it Mm. the harder choice the more confronting choice the one where you have to look in the mirror and go I'm not okay I need to make a change because this is not working for me that choice is going to be the better choice in the long run that's right usually the the hardest choices are the right ones so it's just a matter of getting to that point where, you know, and everybody's rock bottom is very different. You know, it doesn't have to be a rock bottom like mine was. Some people, are, you know, some lucky people, I call them, There's comes a lot sooner than a near-death experience. But, um, you know, putting down the drink in hindsight is the easy part. It's then maintaining that and learning how to live without it ongoing that is complex because that no longer involves just you. That involves your entire landscape and everything that you choose to have in your life or influence your life because, you know, for, at different points in time we'll all be either tempted or thrown off kilter or uncomfortable and and it, it certainly requires as you as you mentioned before, a real um, reevaluation of your entire life, who you, who you choose to have in it, how you choose to act. So that in itself is confronting for people because Jesus, as humans, we don't like change. Then just okay, take away my alcohol now, change my entire life. Absolutely, no wonder people are fearful to do it. What is your advice for people who are fearful that? their whole life is going to completely change and it's scary. I'm going to use the analogy time heals. And it's not so much healing that is my point with this. 
I think in the beginning that fear of being ostracized or isolated from the rest of the world is the it's the overpowering overbearing overwhelming the one thing that's stopping them from putting the drink down enough time away from the drink and that actually doesn't really matter to you anymore I can't explain that like I you know I was like oh god how am I going to go to a party again and not drink and that was even when I'd been sober a, a, a period of time or I'd look around and you know people having picnics and having wine oh my god you know I'm never going to be able to do that again. I couldn't give a shit now. It's it's totally, it's honestly, it's, they become more and more irrelevant. The, the more you see how not drinking benefits you, how much you actually like your time without that environment, doesn't mean that you can't be a social person. I just socialise differently. I still do. Eight and a half years down the track, if I go to a party and everyone's hammered by midnight, I'm like, I'm out, sorry. <laughs> and it's not because I'm tempted. I just can't be bothered with that anymore. It's So that's what I probably my point is give yourself time. Yes, it will be uncomfortable. And to begin with, look, my personal recommendation is don't go into those environments to begin with. I know that sounds really harsh, but I don't think, depending on your level of um, of dependency, I certainly wasn't comfortable walking back into a, a pub or um you know, that that environment where that's all that was going on. I chose to socialise differently. I was breakfast catch-ups with people or, you know, lunch where where there was less inclination for people to be drinking. So that's really good advice. Change the way you socialise with people. So don't go to a bar, but maybe go for a walk in the morning. So go put yourself in a social situation where alcohol would be a yeah. weird choice. <laughs> Is, is actually it's good it's sound advice because you don't you know we are social beings we're hardwired for connection and sometimes that that is the prison that we live in sometimes and and so in order to really truly be free you need to yeah I really think that you have to accept the fact that some friendships will fizzle out and some friendships will die down and that's okay the people who love you and genuinely care for your well-being will stick around and they will be there by your side, your sober side. If a really strong part of your connection with that person revolves around drinking, it's maybe not the kind of connections that we should be craving anyway. It's a hard one to look down the barrel of. One of the strategies in coming out of rehab is when we all had to write our maintenance plan kind of thing was to absolutely look at how we socialise outside again how are we going to do this and and the number one thing was really look at your timing and environment we're really weird human beings don't pretend to be superhuman because if you have been living one particular way of life and and, and you know you have a habit as you've been mentioning for mm. for a period of time it doesn't go away in 5 seconds and I think for some people you do get there eventually and for other people you just decide that you don't want to hang out in bars and pubs anymore and that's okay yeah. too, you know. Like my worst-case scenario is being in a yeah. loud pub <laughs> with other adults. Like I just I just want to be on the couch. You evolve as your sober self as well. I really attest to what you said, Justine, that you do just stop thinking about it. I think when you first stop drinking, you're like, oh, my God, I'm not drinking. I can't drink. Mm. Let's not drink alcohol. I'm not dr-. like you, you're on this loop of deprivation. Mm. But eventually that voice just chills out oh, and yeah. just kind of vanishes. Mm-hmm. And like I go like I have picnics with my friends a lot and like I don't even think about wine. 
but I used to, like my picnic used to be a picnic basket full of wine. That was my contribution to the picnic. So it does. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe some cheese. Like, <laughs> yeah. So I think that it, it is I know. time is definitely a theme mm. that we've been talking about, but it is a really big one that you've got to allow yourself the time. You know, it's taken time for you to become dependent. It's going to take a lot of time yeah. to for those habits to reform, for the reframing to take place, for the neural pathways to rewire. It's pract- It's the discipline of time. It's the practicing being sober, which you don't even realize you're doing it just by being sober. You are practicing being sober. It's, um, you know, there are, and there are, for me, there was definitely, um, you know, little bumps along the way, not in terms of picking up a drink again, but um, you spoke a little bit about, you know, getting over potentially who you were in your drinking period or, you know, for me there was a huge amount of um, almost PTSD stuff that came up a few years later. In fact, in 2019 I had a real strong revisit from that Um, and that was years after I'd stopped drinking where I just uh, realised that I hadn't really forgiven myself and um, had to go go back and do a lot of counselling. I was never tempted to drink again but it was – uh oh my god I did this (laughs) who was that and learning to forgive myself which is still a daily undertaking it kind of catches up with you a few years later after that much time then Mm. you you are ready to forgive her yeah it doesn't come before you have the capacity to and so that's why there are these knock-on compound benefits and these knock-on compound things that come up over time that you are ready to handle and ready to put to rest and ready to forgive and and I I kind of love that that it's not just this put down the drinks and everything's fixed it's like put down the yeah. drinks and like start your self-healing journey and man it's a long one yeah <laughs> and that's okay it's not linear you know it's just not linear it's it's going to be up and down and all over the place. But you're right, you know, I, I know that I was given that particular part of my um, what's it, trauma or whatever to deal with when when I well and truly had the capacity to, to go through it without picking up a drink again. Because, you know, most people, this is a real common thing, is that the guilt you feel from what you're doing when you were drinking is sometimes enough to pick up another drink, which is sad and scary. Guilt is like the biggest waste of time emotion you can feel. Feeling guilty is real and I've done my fair share of it, but it serves zero. There is, it's no value add. It just makes you feel like shit. And we don't have to choose those feelings and so I say when yeah. when the guilt when you know the guilt nana visits me I'm always like stand down I'm not I don't have time for this guilt bullshit I've got time to make good choices and forge forward with my life and I'm not going to feel guilty you know and I am now in a position where for 8 years almost yeah. I haven't made a dumb choice and that feels so good <laughs> I know I think I've probably still made some uh, dumbish choices but not catastrophic like they were before but at least you did them sober and so you can take responsibility for them. <laughs> oh, I did. 
<laughs> it's very, very, very true. Do you know the small things like, um, you know, and once again, not everybody's the same as me, but my addiction was was near death and um, my handwriting. So I looked back. I, I, Thanks for listening to Last Drinks Podcast. If you love this podcast, then subscribe. For more inspiration and to reach out, you can follow us on Instagram at Last Drinks Pod. Just writing my activities in the day program. And I looked down at my page and I could, what I was writing was legible. And my handwriting was back to like my old high school penmanship kind of writing. And I was like, Sobriety gave you back your pen license. I will have truly got my pen license back.